Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And happy birthday to our planet Earth. Uh, today is the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. And I have a couple of poems I'd like to share um, to kick off the show, um, both by Rafael Jesus Gonzalez of the San Francisco Bay Area. And this first poem that I'm going to share, he wrote it in uh, – 2000, um, 2005, um, and uh, it's entitled, If We Do Not Speak. If we do not speak to praise the earth, it is best we keep silent. Praise air that fills the bellow of the lung and feeds our heart's blood, that carries light, the smell of flowers and the seas, the songs of birds and the winds howl that conspires with distance to make the mountains blue. Praise fire that lights the day and warms the night, cooks our food and gives motion to our wills. That is the heart of earth, this fragment of a star that burns and purifies for good or ill. Praise water that makes the rivers and the seas, that gives substance to the clouds and us, that makes green the forests and the fields, that swells the fruit and wombs of our birth. Praise earth, that is the ground, the mountain, and the stones, that holds the forest and is the desert sand, that builds our bones and salts the seas, the blood that is our home and place. If we do not speak in praise of the earth, if we do not sing in celebration of life, it is best we keep silent. And the second poem, and if um, I were more fluent in Spanish, I'd read it to you in Spanish too, but I am not. Our Mother, Nuestra Madre, our mother who is here, holy be your names, here be your reign, your will is done, heaven takes care of itself, give us our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses a while longer until we learn not to trespass against one another. We make our own temptations, and only we can free ourselves from evil. For yours is the reign, the power, and the glory, for as long as we exist to praise you. Amen. <laughs> so thank you, Raphael, and thank you, Mother Earth. And we are so excited today. We're so excited. My knees are shaking. <laughs> we are so excited today to have on the air, and we're going to be joined um, hopefully very soon by uh, Sister Deborah Wright, um, by Dr. David Horn, and um, and and also um, uh, Brother uh, uh, Vasiki Kone to talk about Liberia and this wonderful um, project that they have. Um, in, in two different directions. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read their bios first, and then we can talk more about, um, you know, why we're here today. Because I know for those who know a little history of the African diaspora, particularly, you know, what happened to people of African descent um, once enslavement ended, and the relation between African Americans and Liberia is a close one. And, uh, and so, anyway, I'm really, really happy we're going to be talking about that and looking at food security and things like that. So welcome to both of you. Oh, there's Sister Deborah. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> Good morning, Sister okay. Deborah Wright. How are you? 
fine, thank you. Or do I need to mute? It's, it's, I'm hearing her. No, 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 you're good. You came with perfect timing. So I'm going to read bios okay. right now, and then um, and then we're going to, uh, you know, start our conversation. So um, okay. here we go. I'm going to start with yours because you are the reason why I am meeting these wonderful, wonderful gentlemen. So Sister Deborah Wright is a retired reference librarian and administrator from the College of Charleston's Avery Research Center for African American History and Culture. She received her, a Bachelor of Arts degree from the State University of New York at Albany. As a university student, um, she participated in a language and history study abroad programs in Mexico and in Puerto Rico. Additionally, she traveled in West Africa to Ghana, Liberia, Togo, Ivory Coast, Senegal, and Benin. She has also traveled in the Caribbean or West Indies to Barbados and notably on multiple research trips to Jamaica, West Indies. Prior to working at the College of Charleston, she was a public education excuse me, a public educator and field office administrator for the Office of Public Education and Interpretation of the African Burial Ground Project in New York City, USA. Oh, that's how you know Shadra, huh? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And probably Baba Bill, too, Bill Jones, because he was a part of that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Deborah Wright has done extensive research on African-American music and has written jazz music appreciation curriculum for alternative schools in New York City. Uh, She recently served as associate editor of the South Carolina Black History Bugle, an educational resource magazine for elementary school students. She serves as an editor of the Avery Messenger, the College of Charleston's Avery Research Center's news magazine. She is also co-founder of the Charleston Remembers Program, which is how I know her through our mutual friend, um, Brother Osei Chandler. Um, And the Charleston Remembers Program has, for the past 22 years, hosted programming honoring the Africans who perished during the transatlantic slave trade or Middle Passage, and that happens in June, the second Saturday in June that weekend. She is a member of the International Coalition for the Commemoration of African Ancestors of the Middle Passage, or ICAMP, established to organize activities designed to remember the millions of Africans who were sold, kidnapped, shipped, then died along the route from Africa to the Americas. And we're both members, founding members of that organization as well. Um, I'm here in San Francisco. It's the office of San Francisco Bay Area. So welcome, Sister Deborah, to the show. And you are not a stranger to the airway, so hopefully you'll feel comfortable to say a few words. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, you're quite welcome. And now we have uh, Dr. Uh, David L. Horn, um, who is Professor Emeritus uh has was a tenure full professor of critical thinking in African political e- economic history and is the former chair of the Pan African Studies Department at Cal State University Northridge. I'm like, oh, he's on my coast. Cool. Um, <laughs> he has a PhD in history and political economy from UCLA and two Master of Arts degrees, one in public policy from Cal State University. San Bernardino, and the other in South African history from the University of Florida. He is the executive editor of two peer-reviewed academic periodicals, the Journal of African Studies and the Journal of Pan-African Studies, recently renamed the Journal of 21st Century Pan-Africanism. In 2005, Dr. Horn was selected in a poll by the Los Angeles Wave newspaper. That's one of my favorite newspapers. My mother sends it to me. (laughs) Uh, 
Yeah, we love the wave. Um, so he was selected by the wave uh, as one of the 25 top black movers and shakers in Southern California. He is the author of Straight to the Point, An Introduction to Critical Thinking, Meeting Ma'at, The Handbook of African Consensus Meetings and Gatherings, and Introduction to American Government from a Black Perspective, as well as numerous scholarly and community-based articles. So he's a practical scholar. He has presented scholarly papers in Nigeria for the Center for Black and African Arts and Civilization Conference, in Ghana at the W.E.B. Du Bois Center, and in South Africa, France, Libya, Zambia, and the Netherlands, Brazil, Trinidad, Cuba, and Barbados, in association with the African Union and for the National Council of Black Studies, and regularly presents both scholarly papers and Black History Month speeches across the country and the diaspora. He is one of three regularly invited diasporian delegates to African Union technical workshops and analytical discussions held in Africa at various sites. He was an official delegate to the 6th Pan-African Congress held in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania in 1974 and to the 8th Pan-African Congress in Johannesburg, South Africa in 2014. I remember the second one. Dr. Horn is the international facilitator for the 6th Region Diaspora Caucus established for the purpose of helping to organize the African diaspora for participation and membership in the African Union, per the AU's 2003 Article 3Q. Invitation to African descendants to join it as a sixth region and help create the Union of African States, United States of Africa, and the Pan-African Diaspora Union, an international umbrella organization of diasporians, and includes the A-U-A-D-S, European, Europe, and Black Hebrews of Jordan, Israel, and the Middle East. We'll have him on again to talk about that in more detail. Dr. Horn is currently writing a book, Organizing the African Diaspora, and he is the author of The Decade of the Diaspora Theme, Currently in Vogue. Well, welcome, Dr. Horn. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Wanda. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and last but certainly not least, and he's going to share a poem with us. We have um, uh, we have Brother Masiki in Kone, a Liberian writer, poet, magazine publisher, community and cultural activist, immigrated who immigrated to the United States in 1995 and resides in the state of Pennsylvania. Ah, oh, okay. Ah, so you know my friends, the Africas, probably Pam and Ramona and all my folks. Um, but anyway, uh, Kone's writings and commentary have been widely published in newspapers and on websites in Liberia, the United States, and Europe. Um, Vasiki Kone served served in the United States Army from 1996 to 2005, but while serving on active duty, the United States in the United States Navy. Um, Kone did not bury his activist side. He was the founding chairman of the National Civil Rights Movement, a Philadelphia-based Liberian pro-democracy and human rights organization. Through this organization, uh, Vasiki Kone led a large contingent of people in a September 16, 2002 demonstration in Washington, D.C. at the Liberian Embassy, demanding the unconstitutional release of imprisoned Liberian journalist 
Hassan, how do you pronounce his last name? Hassan Billity. Hassan Billity and other illegally detained Liberians during the Charles Taylor regime. A few months later, he led another demonstration in Washington, D.C., this time at the U.S. Capitol, against the continued illegal detention of Liberian human rights activists. How do you pronounce his first name? Alasha Stowe. Alasha Stowe and others. Were they released? Uh, they were, were they released. released. For protesting? Okay. Yes, yeah. yes ma'am. Good. Good. In April 2002, Kone won the first place award in the Liberian Civil War Poetry Competition. You see why I want him to do a poem, right? Sponsored by the Liberian Community Association of Rhode Island, United States. The winning poem that in that competition was Scene of Sorrow 2. In 2003, Kone published his first book of poems titled Going to War for America. His second publication, the Land of My Father's Birth, 2013, is a memoir of the Liberian Civil War, a personal story of ethnic and religious persecution and survival during the Liberian Civil War. Oh, I have to read that. We'll have to have you on again, too, to talk more about all of this. Because, um, you know, this is National Poetry Month, too. Uh, since leaving the United States Army, uh, Navy, excuse me, in 2003, uh, Vasiki Kone has frequently traveled to Liberia, Ivory Coast, Guinea, and Europe to engage in literary as well as community activities. He launched the art and culture magazine, The Uptown Review, on January 7, 2011, in Morovia, Liberia. His current volume of poetry with the title, The Love of Liberty Brought Us Together, what a nice title, continues with the theme of war, peace, love, and pro-democracy, human and civil rights campaign in Africa in general, and Liberia in particular. His poems um, mitigate against social, political injustice, as well as celebrate romantic and spiritual awakening among people of Liberia, Africa, and the world, irrespective of religious, religion or ethnicity. Uh, our guest, uh, Vasiki Kone, is currently the Public Affairs Cultural Coordinator for SAWA, which is an acronym, which stands for? SAWA is a, it's a gear wars meaning coming together to care for our nation. Oh, okay, cool. So it's not an acronym. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and you just um, answered that question. It's an organization, as you mentioned, establishing most sustainable development, build cultural heritage initiatives, and provide advocacy for women and children of, in Liberia. Ha! Ah, so, wow. So now we can all go home. Um, these men are just, and women are so, so phenomenal. Like, okay. <laughs> um, so, Sister Deborah, before we have uh, Brother uh, uh, Vasiki share a poem, um, maybe you could like personalize this because it's like we have to like sit down and say like, okay, wow, that was a lot. Um, <laughs> um, maybe you could tell us how how you know the men and maybe uh, sort of center the conversation this morning. Um, well, I know Dr. David Horn through uh, working um, closely with him uh, for many years. I think Dr. Horn may be back before 2010 with the Sixth Region Diaspora Caucus. I know right. him as, yes, so um, I know him as a scholar, intellectual, uh, a, a really an intellectual for our time, 
um, uh, a keen Pan-Africanist, um, really compassionate and patient spirit. So it's been, it has been a pleasure working with him for all of those years um, with the Six Reading Diaspora Caucus um, organization. And uh, Mr. Vasiki Kone, I met through Sewa, um, and um, that was through the uh, Mrs. Louise Fiore, who's the executive director of Sewa. Uh, she's currently in Liberia. Um, and and uh, Mr. Kone came to the SRDC conference uh, this past fall in Charleston, South Carolina, and I met him then. And and it's been a wonderful meeting. He's been sending me some of his writings and some of his poems. He sent me one uh, Malcolm X piece that is totally blown me away called Malcolm X African Disciples. I, I'm I'm loving it. So that's how I met Mr. Coney. And I just want to give uh, our brother Kamasi Palmer a shout out because he's sort of been the conduit, you know, to um, – Oh, wow, that, that Malcolm X poem sounds really phenomenal. Oh, <laughs> it is so great. Thank you, Luseki, yeah. for sending me that poem. I'm loving it. It's, it's oh, so moving. That... And, 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 yeah. and just the idea that, you know, um, he and also Mrs. Seaway, Louise Seaway there, they're, they, they work so hard to try to, you know, work with us. They're Pan-Africanist thinkers working so hard to try to work with African-Americans and people from the islands and, and just try to, so, so we can, you know, gain some understanding of each other so we can work together far more effectively. And, again, that's the kinds of things that we need to be doing during this time. Oh, awesome, awesome. Yeah, cool. So, um, okay, uh, do you do you have... Um, that poem available, the one that um, Sister Deborah mentioned about Malcolm X. Uh, let me see here. Uh, if I can find out right now, there's another poem I could read for you, which is the title poem of my book, "The Love of mm-hmm. Liberty Us Together." Uh, that is talking about the relationship between Native Liberians and African-Americans that went to found Liberia as a nation. Mm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you go want ahead, me to go ahead, my brother? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, the title is The Love of Liberty Brought Us Together. Uh, in Liberia, when the African-Americans went to found a nation, the motto is the love of liberty brought us here. Okay, over the years, there's been a lot of argument over that, saying that it did not include the native. And there's been suggestion that the love of liberty brought us here should be changed. And this is my suggestion that instead of it being any other thing, it should be the love of liberty brought us together rather than love of liberty brought us here. All right, so I'll go like this. We are a nation of many cultures and traditions that make us who we are, a proud nation and people. 
for the love of liberty brought us together. Yes, the love of liberty brought us together. The native sons and daughters, our brothers and sisters who came from across the ocean to join us after many years of separation, together we make up this nation. Our destinies start together as one people. We are a coat of many colors, 18 distinctive identities, all of which we must celebrate as a nation if we must move forward to meet the challenges that lie ahead after many years of setback. We must now sing the love of liberty brought us together. We are traditional religious believers. We are Muslims and Christians. We all have contributed to building this single house that we must all share in peace and love for the sake of our survival as a nation, understanding that the love of liberty brought us together. Oh yes, the love of liberty brought us together. Like a tree with many branches, we are one, celebrating our past and present as we approach the future, committing ourselves to correcting what went wrong before, so that when days of peace, freedom, and prosperity come, we will stand together and sing the song, Let the Love of Liberty Bring Us Together. Thank you. Let the love of liberty and freedom bring us together. That's a great um, kind of affirmation we should think about often um, before we allow discord to interrupt, you know, any possibility of our, you know, growing as a community. Uh, thank you very much. Um, so I was wondering, um, you know, um, since you're, you're already speaking, if um, <clears throat> maybe you could tell us a little bit about, um, you know, Liberia and what you love about Liberia. Well, Liberia uh, was a nation that started uh, as far back as 1822 when uh, some African Americans decided to go back home to Africa. Uh, I think it was after the Emancipation Proclamation of Lincoln. No, it was before. Uh, huh? It was before, before the Emancipation Proclamation. Okay, okay, before that. Okay, well, yeah. I think there was a general feeling at that time in America, as we understand, that some white people wanted black people to leave to go establish their own nation. Uh, there was talk about repatriating right. black people to Haiti, uh, repatriating them to Africa. So the one that actually became a reality was the founding of Liberia, uh, right. where on, I think, around 1816 to 1822, quite a number of African-Americans left from here. At the time, there was no name. It was not African-American. It was like Negro or color people, as we learned from our history in Liberia, that those people desiring of freedom uh, to escape from racial oppression in America decided to migrate to Liberia, I mean to Africa, because at the time, there was no country called Liberia. Okay, they first settled in what is now Sierra Leone, but the climate was not hospitable to them. And they went further down the coast and came to what is now Liberia. Okay, uh, they were sponsored by the American Colonization Society, ACS. Okay, Uh, from the settlement in 1822 until 1847, 
it was ACS that were controlling the activities, uh, appointing leadership, administration, and things like that. But in 1847, uh, the American Liberians decided to seek for independence. Okay, they declared independence in 1847, and that is officially Liberian Independence Day. But when Liberia became independent, it was first recognized by France and Great Britain, and it took many years before America uh, recognized Liberia independence. But what is surprising about the independence of Liberia is that uh, the citizenship of the new nation was only for the people that came from America. It took more than 30 years before citizenship was extended to the native. Uh, you can see that that is one of the beginnings of all the misunderstanding between the settlers and the native population. Uh, so it took about 127 years of leadership by American Liberian, uh, of which the native Liberian felt excluded uh, mostly uh, because they were majority. Okay, but that was, that discord led to the 1980 military coup d'état, in which President William Turber, who was considered to be a very progressive person, and uh, if the coup had not taken place there was a possibility that he could have brought about the change that would have prevented the world library went through. Unfortunately, uh, he was assassinated by a group of military people. Uh, many people believe that that coup was sponsored by the, uh, by the CIA uh, because toward being a kind of progressive leader, he was trying to uh, challenge new cause for Liberia. Uh, not as a puppet of American government, but to be a truly liberated African nation uh, that did not go down well with the United States government. And there's a widespread belief in Liberia that Toba was assassinated uh, through the help, through the orchestration of the CIA of America. Uh, so that is the history. I'm pretty sure uh, Dr. Hunt know a lot about Liberia. And uh, many of our Liberians in America today, we feel surprised to see that many African-Americans, particularly African-Americans, know very little about Liberia. How can you don't know about a nation that was started by your people? So it is very, very surprising to a lot of us that you come across people in America. The moment you talk about Liberia, the thing is, is that Nigeria? Is that Libya? No, come on, this is a nation that your people founded. If there's any nation in Africa that African Americans should feel a sense of commonality with, it should be Liberia. Mm, I agree. Wow. <laughs> I, totally, I, I totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so Dr. Horn, continue, um, you know, with regards to, um, you know, as an African American, uh, continue around, you know, the theme of, what you see as the importance and significance of Liberia, uh, a, a country that our ancestors or some of our ancestors founded when they left this country. Okay. The um, number one, most of the present African continent, which will hopefully become a single country, a united African state in the very near future, but most mm -hmm. of the continent 
was colonized, that is, taken over and controlled by uh, Europeans after the uh, Berlin Conference in 1884 and 1885. They, like, like a gang sitting around a table laying out territory, this is yours, this is mine, let's not fight about it. Um, Africa was invaded and subsequently taken over. Now, even though the United States attended that that Berlin Conference back in the 1880s, uh, it did not participate in the that kind of direct colonization of of um, you know of Kenya, of what we now call Tanzania, it used to be Tanganyika and Nigeria, Ghana, et cetera, et cetera. The only American colony on the continent is Liberia. Liberia basically being set up as a uh, release valve for this country. Even though when we talk about the reparations movement and we talk about the you know the the history that we have dealt with in this country, we talk a lot about. Um, you know, slavery and poverty and how bad things have been and all of those are true. But there's always been a significant population of African Americans who were never slaves. They were free black folk. They owned property. They they um um you know worked. They they had money. Uh, from the very time that, you know, they participated in the, uh, what we call the um, Revolutionary War, which was really a war of independence more than a Revolutionary War. But from the very time that they were participating in that, fighting with the, uh, you know, the, the colonists against Great Britain, we've always had this population of free black folk. The, in the... Uh, after the culmination that became the United States of America after the second constitution, you know, in, uh, in the, uh, 1788, 89, a, a lot of the white folks who owned property in this country became increasingly fearful of this population of property owning black folk who were uh, setting up school systems, who were doing some very progressive things in this country, there was a fear that that population was going to increase and that they would effectively show the slave population that there was a hope of freedom, there was a hope of becoming successful property owners and becoming regular citizens in this country. In other words, you have this this conflict between uh, black free, free black folk and enslaved black folk, and the property owners, the white dominant property owners in this country, saw it as a an issue that was going to explode. Eventually, it did in the Civil War, but they saw this as being a problem that needed to be 
solved. And so they created the American Colonization Society, which was a group of church people, a group of plantation owners, a group of United States legislators, etc., to promote the idea that, y'all know what? Y'all need to, you know, we can get some land in Africa and y'all can leave and you can set up your own uh, situation, your own country. And uh, so they, a number of African Americans were invited to leave and uh, the United States government paid for uh, the American Colonization Society's efforts to set up um, a living space right to the south of um, Sierra Leone. The, the first group of folk going there tried to uh, become a part of the Sierra Leone, the Freetown, um, you know, uh, area that the British had colonized. And the British, British said, no, you cannot come here. You are not part of this. And the colonists went south and created what we now know as Liberia. A lot of the free African-Americans, free black folk who already owned land, were not interested in going, but they were encouraged to go by um, uh, people like Frederick Douglass, uh, people like uh, uh, Paul Cuffey, a free black man who owned ships, who was wealthy, and who took a group of African Americans on his own dime, on his own money, to the uh, to the African continent to see whether they liked it and whether they could stay there. But anyway, this group of folk who were sent, and it was about 12,000 in all, who were uh, sent, coerced, convinced, persuaded to leave. Number one, it was part of this scheme of the white property owners in this country who wanted to get rid of any hope that slaves could have that they could stop being slaves. They wanted to get rid of the free black population. And so they set up this area that came to eventually be called Liberia. As uh, Brother Coney just said, that, that became uh, independent in 1847 and eventually got uh, accepted by the United States and by the other countries in the world as a free and independent country. It was that that population that was sent over, that went over, that was sent over, you know, uh, people got there by a number of of, um, of approaches. That population was called the Amerigo-Liberians. They came to see themselves as being different from and unfortunately seeing themselves as being better than the uh, indigenous population and unfortunately took some of the same attitudes that they learned from white folks about treating black folks badly. They took some of the same habits of white people to Liberia and they ended up discriminating against and even enslaving some of the indigenous population in Liberia. Uh, they, Amerigo Liberians brought some very positive things to Liberia and has helped to build the country into what it is, but it was not all good stuff. It was not all 
uh, rice and gravy. We have sometimes been the worst, our own worst enemy in Liberia. And uh, it's taken a while for Liberia to become the integrated country that it is now and the uh, American Liberians to stop acting like black white people in uh, in Africa. It's been a long journey. And part of that journey was the the two civil wars that, um, uh, and some people even say three civil wars, that Liberia fought between 1980 and uh, a few years ago to resolve the issues that were created at the very beginning back in 1822 when African Americans came to coastal Africa and set up those initial settlements, depending on the whites to support them financially and then building up became the independent country of, of, of Liberia, but also in treating the indigenous population in ways that they should not have been treated. They took some of the same habits they learned from white folks and and and, and use that in Liberia, and that's that's not that's not a proud part of our history. And I'm saying all that to say that this new arrangement between Sewa and SRDC, the Six Region Diaspora and Caucus, and African American created organization in this country, this new relationship between these two associations is to work in partnership with um, activists in Liberia to get some things done to help Liberia move forward. We are not African Americans who are coming to continue this nonsense about we think we are better or we're going to show you what, what to do. We're smarter, we're stronger, so we're going to come and basically impose our ideas on you. We're not doing that anymore. We are coming to Liberia in partnership to work toward a mutual goal that is to make Liberia better. So I took all of that to, to get to that point. Oh, well, that was this was an important sort of you know sort of laying the foundation. Um, but um, <clears throat> Seki, you know, you um, when you answered the question, um, you you didn't tell us uh, you know what you love about Liberia, and so I wanted to, to circle back on that question. What do you love about your country, and um, where you know are you from? You know, in Liberia, and what's your ethnic group, and is your family still there, and how are they doing? Oh, yeah. As a Liberian, uh, I will always love Liberia. Uh, despite all of the negative aspects of our history, uh, I have a deep sense of nationalism as a Liberian. Every country has, uh, has have uh, some kind of a negative past, but we have to dwell on the positive that brings us together. Because if you look at it, uh, black Americans were being separated from Africa for hundreds of years as a result of the transatlantic slave trade. So right. coming together 
1847. However, they got there, I think it's a perfect, it should have been a perfect union. But after many years of civil war, many of us have come to realize that, look, what we did in the past was not right. We need to forge uh, a new sense of unity, new sense of purpose. We need to come together. Okay? Uh, those of us that were born here, I mean, that, that, that are originated from here and those that came from America, that's our legacy. That's our heritage. We can't escape that. Uh, Labrador has 60 ethnic groups. And African-American or American Liberians make up the 17th ethnic group in Liberia. Uh, I come from the Mandingo ethnic group. And as you know, Mandingos, um, most of the empires in, Af- in West Africa in the past were led by Mandingos, uh, whether it's Sunni Ali, uh, Mansa Musa, all of these people were Mandingos. So I come from that proud heritage of Mandingos ethnicity. Uh, but normally, as, an, as a Pan-Africanist, uh, I really don't like to dwell on ethnicity a lot. I like to dwell on what we have in common as an African people. Uh, it is our exactly. color. It's exactly. our ethnicity. I mean, it's, it's our identity as African people. Uh, we have too many ethnicities in Africa. Uh, Ladura, for example, has 16. Nigeria has more than 200. Okay, but we have to find something that is common to all of us to build on that. Uh, it is on that basis that Sewa in Liberia uh, has been having a very great collaborative relationship with SRDC. SRDC is an African American, uh, America based organization that is working directly with Sewa in Liberia. We are native Liberian. Uh, like today, there's no. Uh, those that left from here and went to Liberia, they are true intermarriages, uh, intermixing over the years. You don't find any original African-American there. You have their descendant. So the descendant of African-American makes so the descendant of the native Liberia. We all want Liberian people now. So it's always been our interest to form a collaborative relationship with our brothers and sisters here in America to carry on um, development and progress in Liberia because Liberia is our home. Today, if you go to Liberia, you're going to find Georgia, you're going to find Mississippi, you're going to find a lot of places that are named after places here in America. Because wherever we left from here and settled in Liberia, they name places after the places they came from in America. So that is something to be celebrated about Liberia. The the coming together of the African-American and African Native to form a nation called Liberia is something to be celebrated by us and by you here in America. Okay. Uh, SRDC and SEWA collaborative relationship, uh, as of now, uh, we have been talking about uh, building a national library, uh, which uh, SRDC is quite interested in, and uh, we have been working on that. Unfortunately, while we are discussing about how to raise funds for the library, we have a situation right now where, you know, the coronavirus, which is a pandemic around the world, and in Liberia and most African countries, the governments are not fully prepared. Like, the government may be over here to give people stimulus package and things like that. So the government is telling people to stay home. Stay home, but the people say, if we stay home, how are we going to survive? 
We have to right. go out there every single day uh, to look for our daily bread in our marketplaces. So if we sit home, what are we going to do? Okay, the government has decided to provide some support, but the support is not adequate. So we at Sewa Liberia, uh, in partnership with SRDC, decided to come together to see how we can raise funds to buy rice and support uh, the people staying at home because it's healthy to stay, it, 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 it's, it is safe and healthy to stay home rather than being out there and for the country to face massive death like it happened during the day of uh, Ebola. We don't want to go through that dark history. So today, what we are interested in uh, with a great history between us to see if we can come together to raise funds to support uh, the food distribution that SRDC have started in Liberia uh, to people that cannot afford to feed themselves in this difficult time. So, right. pure history is a proud history. It, it, it has the past and the present. It's the present we have to deal with. Despite all the negative relations between the American Liberians and Native Liberians, uh, it, 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 it is a nation that we should be proud of. We should be able to celebrate today together as one people. Uh, okay. I, I think that uh, we can uh, emphasize a little on that, uh, the relationship between SEWA and uh, SRDC. And, and, and to just segue right into what Dr. Kone was saying, the project right now is a rice project. We, uh, SRDC and SEWA, are looking to try to provide uh, some foodstuffs for at least 2,000 families. Um, and, it, you know, we, we, we will set up a, a donation page on the, uh, on the Internet within the next few days, but we've already started the project since the, um, you know, the coronavirus is already in Liberia. What we are pushing is this collaboration, this working together, this partnership. I agree with um, uh, uh, Rafiki that we are not talking about uh, lingering in the past. There's progress and greatness in the past. That there are also some, some things that we would like to forget. Uh, I'm a great believer in the spirit of Sankofa. You look backwards as you are moving forward. Part of the danger, however, within uh, the Sankofa vision is that when you keep your gaze only in the past, when you only look at what you have been through, you don't pay attention to where you're going. You're kind of blinded. So we we have to uh, build on the Sankofa bird vision and make sure that we use our past as uh, as what fertilizer for where we are going in the future. And and part of our future is, as Brother Kone just said, uh, the big project is to build a library educational uh, institution in Liberia. Uh, there are 18,000 public libraries in a small country like Italy. 
There's not one public library in Liberia. We have to do something about that, not just complain about it. We have to actively work and get something done in a collaborative manner, and that's what we're working on right now. The SRDC was formed in this country to take advantage of the invitation by the African Union for the diaspora to come back home, for the diaspora to join in this pan-African effort to create a united African state. I'm a Garveyite. I've been a Garveyite for a very long, long time. Uh, uh, Marcus Garvey in, eight, in 1924 said that Africa had to unite. That was where our land was instead of always begging for and asking for white people to stop being white people, for white people to treat us better. We need our own land. We need our own uh, uh, um, uh, independent African property. We need to basically, African people are from Africa. African people need to still be in Africa. African people still need to be building Africa back to the high level that it belongs and to always beg or or ask for in other areas to treat you better is not always the best position to be in. So as a Garveyite, I'm always pushing this Pan-African idea, this Pan-African philosophy that we need to reunite with Africa. As Malcolm X said, you know, you don't, um, you don't leave Africa as Africans and become something else when you go someplace else. You are still basically Africans. And I not only believe that, that's been my life's work. Uh, that's both both in my teaching and my writing and my organizational um, efforts. So we are here this morning talking about African folk different parts of the world, now reuniting with, working closely with indigenous African folk who are still living in our homeland. And we are talking about working together to make Africa better, to get Africa back to the high level to which it belongs. Um the last part of this is there are uh, efforts being made to, in this collaboration, to get Ch China to stop discriminating against African students and uh, uh, Africans who who move to China. Again, we are living in somebody else's area, but you know they have treated a number of those African students and African um, um, uh, residents badly. It sounds, when you read a lot of the literature, uh, particularly looking at the videos and the photos sent onto the Internet by those African students and African residents in China, it looks very, very bad. It looks like the South. It looks like a lot of the stuff that we had to put up with 
in trying to get civil rights uh, agreed to, you know, in the 50s and 1960s, 1970s. So anyway, there's this protest against Africans in China being treated badly, and there's also the demand that when there are vaccines that have been prepared to eliminate the coronavirus, that those vaccines not be, um, that Africans not become the, uh, those folk who were, have the vaccines practiced. You know, in other words, let's find out whether the vaccines work. We are going to use Africans as guinea pigs until we find a vaccine that works. We'll keep experimenting until we get something that will end the virus. When you use people that way, you kill thousands, if not millions of people, because the vaccines at first are not going to work. You don't have the proper dosages. You don't have the proper um, 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 connection between the, you know, the um, biological elements. And if they're not killed, a lot of the early folk will be mangled and mutilated. There is a drive out there to use Africa and Africans as the guinea pigs for the new viruses or the new vaccines for the virus. We are totally opposed to that, and we are trying to agitate, you know, with the African Union to take a firm continental stand against that. Again, this is all part of the collaboration and the pan-Africanist activity to partner and work together to build Africa back to the level at which it should be operating in today's world. Right. Yeah, I'm really, really glad that you mentioned um the uh, the protests against China, um, African diaspora protests against China, and the way that um, Africans are being treated, diaspora Africans are being treated there, you know, kicked out of their apartments, not being able to go into businesses. Yeah, it looks just like, you know, something, pulling something out of, you know, the southern uh, institutions yeah. of segregation and discrimination. And then also, you know, right there on the continent, looking at what, you know, more recent history of of apartheid in South Africa, and then exactly. also you know mentioning about you know using um, vaccines as as biological warfare, and we think about how it's documented that the HIV virus was used um, as in a biological fight against the people there in in South Africa. You know that's why there's so many people infected with the virus. Um, yeah, and then I know people were protesting, and uh, in DRC, Democratic Republic of the Congo, is like, nope. You know, even though the president said you can come in, you know, those those doctors, he said they said, no, we are not going to be, you know, the test, you know, yeah, we we're not population be for these for these um, right. vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. yeah, and then I think a friend of mine was telling me last night that in Nigeria, um, some young people they torched. Uh, a Chinese factory or something because um, they want, you know, 
you know, just yeah, the way China is treating African people is not like without without consequences. And uh, and one of the interesting things is China is the dominant outside player for uh, African commerce. Uh, it mm-hmm. it has been, you know, it has far outpaced most of the European countries, the EU. It has become more important economically to African countries than Great Britain, than uh, even France, and that's saying a lot. And and mm-hmm. as a government and as private corporations have become so integral in the affairs and the regular affairs of Africa, there are over 15,000 Chinese businesses, for example, on the continent right now. While the government and private uh, corporations, you know, banks, financial institutions have become so dominant in Africa, you got Chinese people sometimes not quite getting, they haven't gotten the memo that you cannot treat African folk on a, uh, uh, in your regular everyday affairs, you cannot treat African folk badly. They just had a, um, a major museum um, exhibit that they had on that they showed on the internet, where ordinary Chinese folk were going, coming in, looking at pictures, comparing Africans with animals. You know, here's a picture of an animal. Here's a picture of an African. It looks like it. You know, when you when you train and teach people that it's okay to discriminate and to look at other people in neg- in a negative light, when you train and teach people to do that, they're going to act the way they're acting now. Education mm-hmm. is something that has always been used as a weapon to maintain white supremacy and now in a certain uh, point Chinese supremacy or Asian supremacy. Africans have to fight against this nonsense, and we in the diaspora have to participate in the fight against that kind of negativity. As Freddie Douglas said, if there is no struggle, then there will be no progress. You cannot allow somebody to keep treating you badly and expect them to stop on their own. You must stand up for yourself. Right, yeah. Well, in our our closing minutes, we're definitely going to continue this conversation. I wanted wanted you, um, I'm not certain which one of you, to tell our audience um, how to support this proposal for COVID-19 awareness and food assistance in Liberia. Uh, Where is the website going to be showing up? And in the meantime, how do people get in touch with you who are interested in supporting um, this particular proposal and helping with, um, you know, making sure that there's food security um, so that people can stay home? And uh, as well as, you know, the other other activities that um, that both organizations are a part of. And yeah, if you could not give, if you could give the, if you could give the name, like for instance, when you say SRDC, if you could like say yes. what it is, <laughs> and T A D U. The Sixth Region Diaspora Caucus. Um, 
back in real quickly back in 2003 when the African Union uh, um, after the African Union had become officially in existence and operating, they passed legislation that said besides having the five uh, uh, continental regions, Central Africa, West Africa, East Africa, South Africa, um, et cetera, uh, that there in North Africa, that there should be a sixth region that is the diaspora, African folk who are not living on the continent but who still recognize and understand that they are Africans, whether they live in the Caribbean, whether they live in, in England or France or Norway or the United States, that you are still African. So that sixth region, we are inviting you to come back and join the African Union in the fight to develop a united African states. Um, so we created an organization back in 2006 called the Sixth Region Diaspora Caucus based on what the African Union has said. Um, but go back to your original question. One way they could contact us is by simply going to the website srdcinternational.org.org. Uh, and there will be a designated donation page that should be uh, put online within the next two or three days to uh, donate directly to the um, food security project that we are working on with SAWA right now. And there will be another donation page later on for the full lab library project, which is a lot bigger. Uh, all right. Uh, let me just get back on uh Right now, uh, we set up, we put up some information on social media about uh, those that would be interested in donating to the full project in Liberia. Uh, Sewa has a website. Uh, it's called sewalaberia.org. That's the new website. There's an opportunity to be able to donate through a button on that website. Also, for those that may be interested, there's two numbers here on the announcement that we set up. Uh, is those who are interested can also send a cash out donation to this number here, 571-237-9159 or uh, these are numbers that people can send cash app donation or go on the website. And uh, there, there, there's many options. The other option would be SRDC is going to set up a page. Uh, I wish it would be encouraging people to donate. Uh, the, we ha the reason we have this other page here uh, on, on social media is that like so many people know me they may be because of their familiarity with me be encouraged to donate some money. And the other fellow called Donzo, other people know him, may be encouraged to make some donation to him. And hopefully the one that SRDC is going to set up, 
lot of people that know Dr. Hans and they are working in Liberia, they may be encouraged to donate to SRDC effort. So these are all multiple, multiple efforts we are putting together to make sure that we generate enough money to support the food project in Liberia. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And, and from the uh, proposal, it says that, um, uh, you know, besides, you know, you mentioned that distri- distribution of food items rise to communities under state of emergency or lockdown, that you are targeting 2,000 families within 40 communities in and around uh, Montserrado County. Um, and this effort includes children, women, and men, the elderly, and those disabled and handicapped. And, uh, and you already mentioned this will enable people to be able to uh, stay at home. And uh, and the time frame is no less than three months beginning this week, which was Monday. So I presume that you've already started, um, yeah, you know, uh, making the food available. But you need you need resources to be able to continue to um, yes, supply, right. you know, the much needed foods and other types of resources so people can stay sheltered in place. Mm-hmm. Right. That's why it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I want to mention again that cash apps or Zelle can be sent to um, at dollar sign K Donzo, D-O-N-Z-O, or 571-237-9159. And, um, and then your number is on here, too. Did you want to give your number? Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay, uh, 267-826-3952, And I'll, I have all this in the description of the show so people can just go to the show and you'll see it, this information. And, and once um, the, uh, the website, you know, becomes, well, once it goes live, I'll, I'll post that link as well. But in the meantime, I'll, I'll post the srdcinternational.org. And, again, this is just the beginning of, of a continuing conversation that we're going to have because obviously we can't cover it all, you know, in one 40-minute, one 45-minute uh, conversation. But you'll know their, their qualifications. We won't have to read those long bios. It's like part two. <laughs> uh, Sister Deborah, we're we're running into my next guest time, but do you have any, any yes. sort of um, no. wrap-up words uh, you want to share? Well, no, I'm good. Um, just, you know, to post everything. And, of course, at some point, I guess we need to talk about our remembrance that's coming up, our tribute to the ancestors. But, no, I think they, I think what's been said is, is excellent. I, I I have nothing more to add. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> All righty. So next time um, uh, we want uh, Brother Vasiki uh, Kone, we want you to do the Malcolm X poem, okay? So, you know, find it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> For next time, that's, that's a request. I have it now if you have the time, but uh, if not, then we can do it next time. Oh, next how long time, is it? Yeah. It's lengthy. Uh, it's lengthy. <laughs> Okay. All right. Is Maybe it, next time. Then. I, mean, I don't know how much time you have. I don't know how much time you have. It's, you oh know. well, I have another guest that's in the studio waiting oh. to go on. Um, right. I just wanted to know, like, is it one minute, two minutes? How long is it? I could be like, I could be at least, you know, the portion for two minutes, and uh, that would be. Give us a little yep. teaser. Okay. Go. Go ahead. All right. It's called Malcolm X African Disciple. Revealed in Harlem, Chicago, Detroit, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, and received in the motherland as a power book 
of universal African experience. Now I am the proudest of the sons and daughters of the mighty planet Earth, rich with the words of truth, sharper than the darkness and javelin. I am the disciple of Malcolm X in Africa. I hold the revelation as a such life for folks lost in the wilderness of so debilitating oppression and and depression. I use the such light to lighten the path as a hunt for freedom and justice in this concrete jungle. The symbolic mystic acts is the weapons of my native power to combat the foreign oppressive philosophies polluting the air of my sweet motherland. Knowledge is the power, and the power is the revelation in my hand, in my possession, elevating me to the sky like uh, a jet plane, like a big black bird above the world. And yes, I am the disciple of Malcolm X in Africa. Walking on the streets of the poverty-stricken world, I dream of a mystic pen in my hand, of living words, of rich images which fill my head, of bright white sheet, of palms screaming to be written on a sheet, on a, no, on a sheet. A mysterious big black pigeon appears to me in a dream, words of inspiration from the garden of knowledge of my great yesterdays, the full knowledge of which will prepare me for a great rich tomorrow, full of gold, silver, and diamond. I'm the disciple of Malcolm X in Africa. Wasn't sophisticated? Sophistication came with the self-discovering dream of liberty, and I spread the message in the name of total African redemption as envisioned by Marcus Garvey, Kwame Nkrumah, Secretary Thomas Sankara, and others. I'm empowered by the force greater than the power of atomic bomb. Then the power of atomic bomb. Um, right, I don't have to interrupt you. Yeah, that, that's 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 enough of a teaser. And uh, so we'll have to do the poem in its entirety next time we talk. So maybe um, we could do something. We can uh, continue this conversation next Wednesday. I'll send you out an invitation and you let me know how your how your um, your next Wednesday looks. But thank you all so much, you know, for this wonderful wonderful conversation about about Liberia and in this great proposal, you know, to help our brothers and sisters, um, you know, so that they can be safe, you know, during this pandemic, um, you know, and not have to worry about, you know, being able to feed their families and, and other necessities. Um, so thank you so much, um, uh, Sister Deborah Wright, for introducing us to Dr. David Horn and to Brother um, uh, Vasiki Kone. And, um, yeah, uh, great meeting you, great having our our conversation today and look forward to continuing the conversation in the near future. And you're welcome, and thank you for the opportunity. Oh, you're quite welcome. You have a good rest of the day. Peace and blessings. Thank you, Sister Wanda. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye, everyone. As-salamu Zarina. How are you? Well, walaikum asalam, Sister Wanda. It's good to hear your voice again. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm really happy we had that great conversation last night, and we're going to definitely have to 
continue our conversation because, like, by the time I read your bio, it'll be time for you to say goodbye. <laughs> uh, please don't read all of that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, gosh, it's so impressive, you know. Uh, Zarina Shak- Shakir, you know, was born in Trenton, New Jersey, and she's a producer, host of the reward-winning Perspectives of Interfaith, a television program taped and aired at the Arlington Independent Media Studios in Arlington, Virginia, for over 16 years, I believe you told me, right? 16, 16. Yeah, 16 years, right, exactly, because it says 15, but I, I know you said you need to update that. That's a long time to have a have a television program. That is really, really awesome, you know, looking at, you know, sort of the inter- intersection of the faith community, showing that, you know, we're all, you know, we're all on the same path. We just have different ways of practicing. You know, we call, That's you know, true. call the creator different names or we might not have a name, you know, but it's all about the good, you know, trying to be good to each other and trying to be take care of our planet and take care of you know, those things that need to be taken care of so we will be here because, <laughs> you know, the planet was here exactly. before us and it will be here when we're gone. Uh, <laughs> Inshallah. Inshallah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. And um, you're um, you're the former producer and host for six years of Islamic Perspectives, a television program which was the longest-running program about Islam and Muslims in the Washington, D.C. metro area for over 15 years. Um, you... Um, you contributed six years to the local station board and two years as a chair of WPFW um, in Washington, D.C., which is a sister station of Pacifica National Network, which is having an anniversary, I think. Um, and uh, you are the radio producer and host of Struggle Continues on WPFW, a one-hour radio program uh, also on the Pacifica, Pacifica Network, started by the late brother, uh, Hudari Abdul Ali, and yes. you focus on a myriad of topics relevant to diverse communities, uh, Shafe, uh, in in the brother's name. Um, I was really interested, though, um, when I started reading about, you know, your aspirations, um, you know, when you were a young person, you know, growing up in in uh, in Trenton, New Jersey, about mm-hmm. you know being a performing artist and an international diplomat, and how. And you're trained as a classical musician in voice and several instruments. I don't know if you feel like singing something for us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would rather not sing. I have not, I have not practiced in quite a while. But what I will say to you, Wanda, and to the listeners is the, the blessing of being able to pursue. I didn't become an international uh, star or celebrity or anything like that, but I have been able to um, really take part in performing arts and also what I would consider being diplomatic. I, my um, yearbook, my high school yearbook did state that I wanted to go into show business and, uh, and to be a diplomat really with the United Nations. But let me just say as a teacher, as a performer, as a presenter, I'm also with Toastmasters and a number of other programs and projects that I've worked with both in the United States and outside. Uh, I can say that I have fulfilled what I wanted to do and to be as a performer and a diplomat. And being diplomatic to me is something that we should all try to do every day anyway. Uh, It doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to be doing um, the things that they do uh, for every 
uh, country in the manner uh, of a political sort, but just being kind and uh, and on top of things to me is what is required somewhat for a diplomat. Right, right, yeah, and and also you know when I was re-looking through your um, your bio and I already knew you know that you have traveled you know the planet the globe you have been a whole lot of places and um and so um yeah i wanted you um well i I don't know if i could read all that but i wanted you to talk about about your um you know your your scholarship in uh, american muslim women's leadership you know where you completed a uh a uh, training program and um and you've been in the United Arab Immigrants, Emirates, um, 2008 to 2009, and you received um, a certificate of applied spirituality. Um, and you know, you're when I when I thought about talking about you know sort of Ramadan and significance of Ramadan um, for not just the Muslim community because a lot of communities, a lot of a lot of people practice fasting, right? Um, yes. It's, 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 you know, but it's like, for instance, you know, it depends on what you're fasting, like what the intention is as to what you can get out of it, right? And, yes. you know, some people do it for health. You know, some people do it for spiritual, um, you know, sort of alignment. And some people do it for both because, you know, you can have a health benefit as you're working on your spiritual um, uh, life. And so I was wondering if you could talk about Ramadan because Ramadan, you know, um, is on a lunar cycle, and and which means that it follows the course of the moon. And and right now, um, you know, somewhere somewhere on the planet, somebody is looking to spot that new moon. <laughs> and so that uh, yeah yeah. So I was wondering if you could like you know maybe talk a little bit about. Uh, Ramadan and and you know and as if as we talk you could talk about sort of your travels and your your you know your your I guess your um, uh, interest in um, in Islam and uh, and 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 your travel in you know sort of looking at sort of how Islam is perhaps practiced in different parts of the world and as you know sort of representing as they say. <laughs> So, uh, within your person, you know, the values and the concepts that one thinks of when one thinks about a Muslima. Well, let me just again say to you, assalamu alaikum, I do like wherever I may speak, um, whether it be a small group of people on the radio, on my television show, uh, when I'm with Toastmasters, or anywhere, I always like to start off with our greeting of, Assalamu alaikum. May God's peace and blessings be upon you, us, all of us. And I have found in numerous places people like to, you know, start off with, you know, what's up or uh, how how are you all doing? And I even find that sometimes Muslims do not start off with our universal greeting, which I think is something that we need to be mindful of because. All things, as I believe, and what we do for the most part in Islam, is it all starts and emanates from Allah, from God. And a lot of times people tend to forget that uh, he is in control of everything, just like everything that's going on around us right now, before we were here and when we leave here. 
he will still be in charge. Everything comes from him. So for me, I originally, when I was first born, let's say, and up until I think it was about 25, I was raised as a Christian. And I have many family members that are still a part of the Christian church, different denominations. I chose to eventually become Muslim after studying some of the other Christian traditions, and I wasn't really satisfied with any of those. And somehow in California, I was um, just leaving church one day in the Oakland area, and uh, there was a Muslim brother that was kind of traveling down the street, and he had Muhammad Speaks. And he asked me if I wanted a paper, and I said, well, sure, because I, with what you had mentioned in terms of my pursuit of education, I'm a perpetual student, so I'm always striving to learn more. And the word for student is um, Talib, which is my son's name, Talib Dean, student uh, of religion. And a lot of times people don't understand Talib. It's not, um, you know, this name for terrorist. It has an actual wonderful meaning, student or seeker. So with that being said, I met this brother who was just, selling paper and I said sure and at that point I began to get the paper once a week he made it a point of um, getting the paper to me and I had come into the nation of Islam at that time and I became very satisfied with what I was learning and and I know I get people that will say to me now and I've been in the uh, I've been a Muslim for over almost 50 years, (laughs) interestingly enough. And there are people that will say, well, don't you feel oppressed? You know, they oppress women. And I said, do I look oppressed? Do I sound oppressed? And they're like, well, no, you don't. I said, this is not an oppressive faith as far as I'm concerned. I'm not going to say that there aren't people in any faith tradition or any lifestyle that can't do things that are the opposite of what they're required, part of the oppression, repression, suppression, or any of that. And I'm not depressed, okay? Uh, With what I have learned in Islam, and of course it's coming from reading Quran, and with, as you mentioned, Ramadan, Ramadan is going to be starting for the Muslims throughout the world in a day or two. And as you said, the lunar month, or it's a lunar calendar, which means that it moves up uh, 10 days every year uh, for people that may not quite understand. Well, I thought that Ramadan was in December, or I thought last time you all did it was in September. It was at one point, but it moves uh, every year until we will come back within 33 years back to that point, let's say 33 years from now, we'll be right back where we are today. I don't know, I don't think I'll be around, only Allah knows, but with that being said, uh, Ramadan is said when the Quran was first revealed, and Wanda, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I have myself on mute. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Okay, okay, so what I wanted to say is, you know, a lot of people, particularly Muslims, were told that Ramadan is when the Quran was first re- was first revealed. But people, what they need to really understand is, yes, that's when it was first revealed, but it was revealed for a number of years to Prophet Muhammad, وسلم, who didn't get all of the book that is now the Quran in one night or one month, one month. So people really need to better understand that it was the beginning of the revelation and not the whole book. And that, to me, is important for people to really understand that for even him, who was not someone that did, he wasn't a reader and he wasn't a writer, We've been told he was unlettered, which in some ways meant that he wasn't writing. But, you know, I've kind of done research myself and tried to ask that question. Well, he was perhaps not a scholar like we know of scholars today, but he was someone contracting business throughout the areas where he lived and for his first wife, Khadija, and for others. And I was thinking, well, now, if he was doing that, how did he not understand what the contract was about? And I'm thinking he, too, must have learned something to be able to get all of the revelations. Maybe he didn't start off as a writer or a reader. And there were, there were scribes, of course, that he relayed the revelations to. But I don't want to get into too much of that because I'm just trying to say people can take it upon themselves and to begin to look into this uh, and learn for themselves how Islam actually started and when and where the revelations began and who Prophet Muhammad was and who the other prophets were. So on that, um, what else would you like to know? (laughs) Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what happens during uh, Ramadan, you know, sort of what is the practice and how people that might not necessarily be, you know, Muslim, because, you know, there's something we say that, you know, everyone is born, you know, Muslim, you know, submission to the will of the creator. So whether you claim it or not, you're a submitter. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about sort of the practice, like what's what happens, you know, like because you know fasting is one of those things that no one knows that you're fasting except you and the Creator. You know, when you make your intention, if you don't, you know, you're not able to do it for whatever reasons. You know, you right. might get sick or not feel well because it's not supposed to be a hardship. The only person that knows it is, you know, if you if you unless you live with other people, you know, your family might know, but no one knows except you and the Creator, because this is a personal thing. The fast is is both in community, but it's also something that sort of strengthens you as an individual in your in your faith in your dean. I suppose you could talk a little bit about that, and then um, and then I wanted to ask you if you could recite a little bit about of that that first uh, verse that came down during the month. Of Ramadan so many, many years ago. Okay, so now you need me to get my Quran, and I should have had it in front of me. Uh, But, okay, to answer your question about some of the practice of fasting, and I 
will uh, admit at this point in my life because of some physical challenges that I can't fast any longer. I'm not fasting like many of the other brothers and sisters throughout the world. And that's another thing people uh, should know that there are people fasting, people fasting some who have no food who or have very little food. And part of the reason that we are required to fast at this particular time has to do with us recognizing what others are going through in their lives throughout the world. So a lot of times people may ask us the question, are you fasting? Well, you know, it's not, and particularly for Muslims, it's not appropriate for you to ask us if we're fasting, particularly Muslims not asking others. It's as you just said, it's between you and Allah. It's between you and God. It has nothing to do with you trying to lose weight, you trying to impress someone, to to be able to not eat for, say, 18 hours. Um, you start off, for most of uh, people, they start off in the early morning before Fajr prayer comes in with Sahur. Sahur is the practice of eating something early and drinking something so that you can sustain your day. And then when you have um, the breaking of the fast, which is called iftar, that would be uh, around Maghreb. And what that means is you have uh, hopefully said at least four prayers. Um, You have said Fajr prayer, Dhuwar prayer, Asr prayer, and now you're ready to say Maghrib, and then the very last prayer is Isha prayer. That's after you have broken your fast, you've eaten, you've said Maghrib prayer with others um, or alone. This year, many of us, whether you're fasting or not, we are faced with, let's say, Seclusion, being alone, most of the time during the month of Ramadan, people are together. They look forward to spending time with other family members or at their masjids or wherever they're praying. This year, because of this situation that we're faced with um, in the world, we will now be required to say our prayers read our Qur'ans, do the things that are required of us in our homes or somewhere where it's secluded and you're generally pretty much now going to be by yourself. This is a different, this is a test. I think that people need to really understand why and how has it, you know, all these, what is it, 1,400 and... um, How many years is it, Wanda, do you remember? Uh, And I don't have my um, Muslim calendar right here in front of me, and I should have had that too. Um, But it's been 1,400 plus. It's like 1,437 (laughs) years or something like that, maybe more, maybe more. So for people that are listening in, um, they can correct me. They can call me on my number here in New Jersey once I finish speaking to give me the correct year. But that being said, for all these many, many years, over 1,400 years, 
the majority of us have been with other people to fast and to pray and to read, even to read Quran. And this is putting us in a completely different mindset. And let's face it, this is Allah's decree. This is what Allah wants for us. So there must be something for us to learn from all of this. Let me just get back to, in terms of the practice of what one needs to do during Ramadan, fasting, you don't drink, you're not chewing gum, you're not drinking water, you shouldn't be imbibing or doing things that are not a part of our deen, really like um, intoxicants, uh, cigarettes, alcohol. Also for people who are married and in Islam, that is what is also required of us to be married. You would not be having relations, sexual relations with your husband and wife uh, during the day, during the time that you're supposed to be fasting. Um, After you break your fast, then you can eat, you can laugh, you can talk, you can eat and chew gum and drink water and do all of that. Many people break their fast with dates or some form of fruit and some water, and then they prepare to say the Maghrib prayer. And after Maghrib, for the most part, then people will have a real meal, a dinner that could be whatever it is that you eat culturally, Um, and whatever is available together. Well, again, now we're by ourselves, and you may be eating a meal alone. And I'm sure it won't be the first time that people have done that, and it won't be the last. But we also have to be very mindful that during Ramadan, we are required to read Qur'an, Now, everyone does not read all of the Quran. We should be reading a juice a day, a juice, J-U-Z, not juice the drink, but juice, J-U-Z, is a 30th of the Quran. And the Quran is uh, written out and sectioned and is in 30 parts. So the first part, starts with Al-Fatiha along with Al-Baqarah, which is part of the first surah and the second surah. And until the end of Ramadan, you should try to read as much, if not all, of the Quran that you can. Now, I again, there may be people that might say something about what I'm suggesting I am not going to say to somebody, well, you better read all of the Quran, and if you don't, you can't. I, that's not for me to say. Allah knows best. And the reason that we're doing any of this is so that we can get closer to our God, to Allah. It's not about, again, trying to show off or to uh, have other people to say, wow, you really, you're a really good Muslim. Uh, you may be for what you show, but it may not be what is really happening. Uh, And I would not be the one to say to anyone that they are or they are not a good Muslim. Only Allah really knows what's in our head, our heart, and what eventually our soul 
and then we will leave this um, at one point. Um, yes. For women... Um, Serena, um, I wanted to um, mention you we're, we're kind of running out of time. My next guest is in the studio. So oh, I was wondering, okay. we'll, we'll have to have you on again, but I wanted to ask you if um, you could let our audience know um, when Ramadan might be starting, like today, tomorrow, um, sort of what what the dates well, are uh, that people are looking at, as well as if you can maybe leave us with um, your recitation of, you know, that particular um, chapter that um, was first revealed during the month of Ramadan, those, that verse, those verses. Okay. Um, well, Ramadan, uh, as we're told, it's, you know, it, it has to do with the sighting of the moon and the sighting of a new moon, a new moon. Uh, and some people already are saying that it should be April 23rd, and some are saying April 24th. Uh, and unfortunately, some people get into little, you know, heated discussions over when the moon is sighted. I would say to people that, Allah knows when the moon is coming, and the main, the most important thing is to again recognize that your being a Muslim has to do with what you do and say where Allah is concerned. So now let me go on and reach for my Quran, which again I wish you had told me. I was going to do that part. Um, I need to. Um, and by the way, the beginning, it's actually Sora 96 for anyone that may be questioning, well, what, what is it and when did it start? Um, that would be Sora 96, which, let me see, I'm up to it, I believe, Wanda. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that is Al-Alaq, um, the clinging clot. Now, I am not going to read this in Arabic, and so just one second. Well, uh, okay, I need to get my glasses on. So, all right, just a second. So I'll just read the first five ayat. That would be the first verses, first five verses mm-hmm. for those that don't understand ayat. Uh, and again, the Surah Ikra, uh, which is read. The word Ikra, I-Q-R-A in phonetics, is read. Okay. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Proclaim or read in the name of your Lord and cherisher who created. Created man out of a mere clot of congealed blood. Proclaim, and your Lord is most bountiful. He who taught the use of the pen taught man that which he knew not. And just those five verses say so much to all of us. And I would say to anyone who, of course, is Muslim, but those who are not, get yourself a Quran and begin to read and understand. You're not converted just because you read the Quran. I'm not converted to Christianity if I'm reading a Bible. I'm not converted to um, you know, if I'm reading Shakespeare, that doesn't mean that I know all about the writing of old English literature. But the important thing, as I would say and end with this, is that reading the Quran 
brings about knowledge for any one of us that we may not have had or do, do not have. And there's nothing wrong with taking it upon oneself to begin to start learning more about what Islam is. So I can say to you, Wanda, thank you for inviting me to be a part of your program. And I look forward to hearing back from you when you when you can. Okay, super. Thank you so much, uh, Zarina, for joining us this morning. And uh, and I want to wish you um, a blessed, um, you know, Ramadan. Um, Thank uh, you. You know, which is coming up, uh, which is, you know, we say uh, Ramadan Mubarak. Um, yes, and which I is, will say you know, Ramadan Mubarak to you. <laughs> All righty. And, and, and I want to let our audience know that we will have you back on. <laughs> oh, wow. I so about, thank you, Wanda. Uh, Thank you so much, and to all of the communities, may Allah bless you and Ramadan Mubarak and Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Ah, good morning, Queen. How are you? Good, good rising. Good rising. I'm well. Excellent. I'm well. <laughs> uh, we are so happy that you can join us, Queen Holland's. Um, who uh, you are the sovereign being and founder of the Earth Lodge Center for Transformation, where you practice and teach earth-based nature medicine and curriculum. And uh, we had you on, hmm, was it this month or was it last month? Uh, (laughs) The days are running together on me. Yeah, I believe it was last month. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about, we were talking about corona and our crown chakra, and I thought, Oh wow! On the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, who would be best, you know, to have in the studio to just sort of like, you know, um, talk to us about our Mother Earth, our planet, and and how grateful we are to, you know, the Mother of us all, you know, uh, in a real yes. sense, right? I mean, we are dirt. <laughs> yes. We are Earth. And without the earth, you know, we would not be, you know, in this incarnation at all. And, you know, the the mother earth, you know, the sun and the water, it all feeds us. And so anyway, I just, just you know, thought it would be fabulous. And I'm so happy that, you know, you were able to join us to talk to us about, you know, what's going on. You know, it's been a minute. And I know you're feeding folks, you know, rice and beans. It sounds so yummy. Um <laughs> And you were, you know, taking care of children yesterday when I text you. I'm like, oh, that's lovely. Yeah. So what you been up to? <laughs> Life. <clears throat> Hello. Life. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. You said okay. you've been up to life, right? <laughs> yeah. Just life is in full Yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, I know I know we don't have a lot of time, and uh, but I'd like to share something that I feel is really important. Uh, okay. First, I'd like to say thank you, Wanda, for thinking of me and um, resonating with some of the work that we do here at the Earth Lodge. Uh, it's an honor to be on the show. It's an honor to uh, share the knowledge uh, with community family, friends, and uh, the globe because this is so much that we're sharing now because we've slowed down um, and we're making less footsteps on her, on her body. 
and more footsteps in our internal process as as earth beings, earthlings. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit, uh, very briefly, in about ley lines. Ley lines are are energetic lines that that are interconnected around the earth. And I'd like to talk about ley lines because ley lines is is some of the basic science of um, uh, not only our being, but basic science in a way where we can communicate with nature. And if we had nothing but ourselves, and I mean no books, you know, the the altars, the incense, and all those different things that we we uh, that help us stay connected. If we can connect with ourselves by nature of our birthright, which is our first initiation into this earth space, we have the capacity to re-remember, re-remember the language of nature, which is the most important voice on the planet. Because all that sustains us and maintains us is the very essence of the earth. Spirit resides in the earth, and it, it expresses itself in so many different ways. But when we can reconnect, when we can reconnect, then we have all that we need. We are activated into all that we are, which is a combination of earth, cosmos, and spirit. We are Everything that exists outside of us exists within us. So when you introduce me, you introduce me as sovereign, a sovereign being, because in that sovereignty, we, I claim spirit that resides within me, and that same spirit resides within the core of the earth and expresses itself in so many different ways through trees, flowers, birds, fish, And so when we can remember her language, then it helps us to activate the the beauty and the magnitude that we see outside of ourselves and often see it as a thing that is outside of ourselves. But that very thing is who and what we are. We are microcosms of this huge macrocosm that we walk upon, that we look up at, in the middle resides us, and us is it is also an outpicturing of that magnitude, of the beauty, of the unlimited capacity to create. And so, in some of her language, she expresses through ley lines, and these are energetic lines that cover the entire planet planet Earth, they're kind of like veins, like we've got veins that go throughout our body that connect into the mother heart, it connects into the heart, and it keeps us alive, it keeps us in flow, it keeps us creative, and that's a very thing that the ley lines do, they're energetic portals, they look very similar to DNA, and we know there's no coincidence, and so along these lines, they're, they're, we, they take messages and communicate through other parts of the globe 
we can sit here on earth and actually send something through this telecommunication and it'll take it all around the globe or to the place that we specifically want it to go. And what I find fascinating about that is that once we plug in, not only do we illuminate, but the earth illuminates, and that message that we send travels all around the world. It far surpasses this, this, this 5G that's been imposed on us recently. I, want to, I can't even go there right now. But we have portals to plug into and to do our work on another level to do communication on another level, to do eradication on another level, to do elevation on another level, to create a frequency that can transcend anything that is out of balance. And so when we come together and we come into circle, which many of us are doing on the planet right now, we're connecting, whether we know it or not, in our prayers and in our intentions and in our um, all of the different beautiful spiritual practices that are happening. The earth is actually hearing all of this in the literal sense and transmitting this through around the world. So if we were to, with this knowledge, to gather in different places in cyberspace, because this is it's not necessarily literal in the sense where we have to gather together. If we set this, these intentions in cyberspace collectively or individually, we can. if we hone in on one intention, let's just say we want, uh, we're going to call forth understanding the language of nature. We want to re-remember and understand collectively and we actually take that intention and speak it into the earth from wherever we are in the globe, there will be a shift. There will be a shift. And so this is, a, this, is, uh, this is so important to me because it helps us to know that every battle is not necessarily a physical one, that every time we need to make a change is not necessarily uh, something that we need to do. Is something that we, that we have the option to connect to something that is already doing it, whether we know it or not. And it takes me back to the civil rights movement uh, when there were so many protests and marches. And, you know, I, I don't hear it mentioned very often that as we marched and our feet touched the earth and our intentions were spoken and we were yelling and, and with passion and determination – the ley lines picked all this information up. And so we were not alone in that, in some of the triumphs that happened during that time. They're actually energetic uh, frequencies that will raise up and help during that time, during any time of need or, or request. So we have an ally that is, is right beneath our feet. And, and let me back up a little bit to the, the, the marching and how we tapped on the, the earth. We also activate our, our ancestors that, that will come to help us. But specifically with the ley lines, it is a form of telecommunication and it is activating not only the, the surface of the earth, but the tree spirits, the nature spirits, 
the uh, the plant intelligence that we need to know right now. What plants do we need to take? What plants do we need to combine in order to rise above this uh, this journey that we're on right now? It's a journey of elevation. It's an opportunity for elevation. So as we as we put our intentions in, all these different portals, life portals are activated, and the energy becomes magnetized towards us. Not only does it go out, but it also comes back to us. The other day I, I did a, a brief, and when I say ceremony, it's not large and in-depth and complicated in the way that you need to have done all these things prior to. It's simply by virtue of my humanity that I can go out onto the earth and speak into the earth, and that determines ceremony. And I went and spoke to the earth, and the next day in my in my meditation, uh, uh, these particular uh, nutmeg came up. And nutmeg is, is uh, for some of you know, there's been lots of warring and lots of death around the, the uh, consumption and... Uh, and ownership of nutmeg. But nutmeg is, is uh, not only does it got many different medicinal properties, but it's also a journey medicine. And in that, in just taking a little bit of it, I was able to, to open portals within my consciousness to remember different herbs that needed to be combined. So Earth has her own intelligence. When we ally with her and when we connect and you can do that simply by sitting on the earth, holding a tree, digging a little hole and putting your finger in. You see, you hear people earthing. That's a, another conversation where people put, you know, uh, cords into the earth and then connect them to their beds and it helps them to stay grounded. They're connecting into those ley lines. So there's a whole world right beneath our feet of communication in a way that I believe uh, she wants us to wake up and remember Earth Day is every day. With no Earth Day, <laughs> there's no, there's no, there are human beings will cease to exist, because everything that she is, we are, as you said earlier, Wanda, we're the very essence and likeness of who she is. So to be able to remember to speak her language, um, is is an opportunity to step into another world and imagine to imagine another way, another possibility. There's so many roads that have yet to be traveled. We're, 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 we've yet to open up, not only within ourselves, those that the, activating our own DNA, but to activate the DNA, the strands, the ley lines that are beneath our feet. When we come together, there's something that happens in the middle. There's a, there's a birthing that happens because when two or more are gathered, there is a third entity, thing, experience that happens. So when we come together in this way with earth, there is a guarantee. Hope. There's no hope involved in this. It's absolute science and spirit blended together that when we come together in earth and we access by simply connecting a part of ourselves in a, in a conscious way, so we connect every day but we're not awake to it. But when we connect and slow down in a conscious way, we get to re-remember the language of nature, uh, how we can co-create together, 
a new anything that there anything that comes up that is out of balance nature always creates an antidote so to to connect in some way to sit at the base of a tree to actually connect and feel those ley lines to speak into the earth that which you desire in order to to bring peace and harmony on the planet and I want to add that piece that now we've moved out of the, uh, some of you may know astrology, moved out of the Piscean age into the age of Aquarius, which Piscean was, oh, I think so. I'm not really sure. He probably knows more than me. Now we've moved into the age or, or Piscean blind phase. Now we've moved into the Aquarian age, the age of I know. The theme on the planet is I know. And that's why all the mystery schools are open, and we have access to so much information. But yet we're still asleep to the language of nature. And this in celebration and honor of, of nature, Earth Day, uh, it, would, it would be wise to, to understand what is beneath your feet. There's so many different layers, and human beings, um, very few of us have yet to to go beneath the surface just a little bit. If you sit on the earth and scratch at least a couple inches down, you're going to see a completely new world that you may not have ever seen before. You're going to see collective cooperation, organization, life, richness. So reconnecting is 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 it, it just seems to be something that should be near the top of the list to get to know the very essence of who you, you're walking upon and who you're walking as. To take a moment to be still. And, and during this time, I, people do want to reach out and want to connect via cyberspace, and I think that's wonderful. But as, as the sister spoke earlier, this is a time to be still with yourself. It's okay not to have touch. It's okay not to to be in community right now. But just take a moment and commune with the beings that are beneath your feet. And when I say beings, I mean the creepy crawlers, um, the the ley lines, the conversations that are being had beneath your feet. And there's a rich, untapped dowry that we have not come close to connecting with in a way that we can build allyship and and uh, co-create a new reality for ourselves, to have a plan that includes the intelligence of the earth as we come out of this this uh, this COVID journey, this COVID initiation um, journey experience that we're on, to include her on a daily basis consciously. And we can start by simply looks not complex at all. The, the complexity that lies with it are the external um, distractions. And if we can pull ourselves away from the cell phone, pull ourselves away from TV, pull ourselves away from social media, pull ourselves away from the books, the talks, the classes, and just sit on her for 15 minutes, even three minutes. We'll start with three minutes, and you'll begin a conversation. She will begin to talk with you. 
and you will be guided in a in a in a way that maybe you've not experienced before. And then it will become something that you look forward to doing and sharing it with others. And it is absolutely free. So in this, uh, there's so much more that we could say about the ley lines, but I'm encouraging everyone to to just do your own research. It's L-E-Y lines. And these are uh, portals of uh, untapped information, resources, creative resources, life-sustaining resources. And just begin the relationship, the conscious relationship. And when I say conscious, that means be awake and know that you're doing it. Be mindful of it. Like be in that moment. Literally carve out three minutes where it's just you and a piece of nature. It can be a tree, a flower, a plant, but it's just the two of you. And you'll see that you'll begin to co-create. And when I say co-create, that means that when two come together, that a third is birthed out of it, whether it's an idea, whether it's a memory that's activated, whether it's a healing, something will get something. You will not walk away empty-handed. You will not walk away empty-handed. And I know that our time is up, Wanda, and I want to honor that. And I hope, uh, not hope, I just intention that this has been um, helpful to folks that are listening, and uh, again, it's such an honor to have been uh, on the ra- on the show this morning, on the portal this oh. morning, because this, this is truly <laughs> a portal. It really it is way more than a show, a radio show. It is definitely a portal, and I just thank you for having held space for as long as you have. Oh, well, thank you so much, Queen. And I wanted to know if you could give give the website for um, the Earth Lodge Center, and um, if there's anything coming up, you know, today or this week, um, you know, that people should know about. Oh, absolutely. The website is www dot Earth Lodge Center dot org. And we've got uh, what's what's happening today are beans and rice. That's actually happening tomorrow. And we also have uh, we're we're combining. There's a conversation that's happening. That one is 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 we're going to have another one. This one is full. It's a conversation of calling the healers in our community. And a healer can be simply simply someone who holds the capacity to smile, to actually invite people to to step in and self activate the capacity to heal by virtue of our humanity, by virtue of our capacity to connect with other human beings in a way that promotes healing. It's, uh, you know, it's not required. That if you're licensed to do something, that's great. And if you're not uh, and you know that you hold medicine in this way, and when I say medicine, uh, it can be as simple as a smile. You know how to um, make a great tea. So we're calling for folks that are, are have the capacity and the time to offer this during this journey that we're on uh, to to uh, at, on a donation basis if possible. And so we're making a list of healers and a list of folks that are interested. So if people are interested, they can definitely go to the website and, and send us the you know inform us and we'll follow through with you. Oh, that's great. 
That's great. Yeah, yeah. sort of putting together a resource for, for people to be able to um, tap into, and you can make referrals. That's great. Yeah, and we've also got yeah. the new moon on the 22nd, so I, I just had to give her a <laughs> shout-out. <laughs> oh. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Wow, well, it's always so lovely to speak to you and, and Queen Hollands. And, and I know um, you mentioned um, when we were, you know, sort of communicating via text um, and email that, uh you you um you're a really strong believer in the uh the hertz uh frequency um and uh yeah and i was gonna i was trying to convert it, but my converter is not working today um so um i know you you mentioned that you know you can find it and i've found it in different lengths i've seen two hour ones and three hour ones and it says it calls it a positive energy cleanse uh four three two h z music and i was just wondering if you could maybe uh, tell our audience about it so they can find it um, on their own. Well, actually, I, I linked to one of the ones I found, but if you could maybe um, tell them what what it what it is and what it does. Yes, thank you so much. I I, I meant to mention that it's a four twenty eight hertz frequency. Four two eight hertz. H-E-R-T-E-T. Oh, four two eight. Okay. Four two eight. That is the the Earth. Uh, the four two eight is the Earth. Let me just let me confirm that just a minute. Give me just a second. Okay, here we are. Okay, I, let me let me back up, Wanda. Let me back up. Mm-hmm. We want seven point eight three, seven point eight three, and it is mm-hmm. the Earth. It's the frequency that the Earth resonates with. Now that was okay. uh, that is actually that 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 is actually shifting because we know the Earth is shifting. But right now, mm-hmm. just to connect, it's called the Earth O H M. The Earth, oh, okay. the Earth Ohm. It's the it's a um, it's a deep uh, uh, like a theta binaural beat, and that is always happening on the Earth. You can only usually uh, it's not it's not something that you can actually hear with the naked ear. This hertz is amplified, but it helps to bring groundedness because it is her frequency so it's groundedness helps you to get connected helps you to get centered it helps you to sleep better it helps you to get on her frequency you know like if we hear uh, certain frequencies that you know it can either elevate us or it can make us feel um, excited sad it, it touches a different part of our uh, our chakra system and in this uh, case the Earth the seven um, say the seven eight seven point eight three it helps to ground us which is connected to that root chakra and when we're rooted and grounded no matter how hard the winds blow we're not going to break we might bend but we'll come back up so I think this is a, a I feel this is a, a frequency that. Uh, would be very helpful now just to help folks with, uh, you know, a lot of anxiety that's happening on the planet, a lot of fear energy, a lot of um, uh, not enough lack and limitation energy. Uh, if people are hyper vigilant about things, this will help ground you and, and give you a chance just to be present in the moment and not in the future, you know, not in the past, but in the moment, in the moment. 
So, uh, again, it's the Earth Ohm, and this particular Ohm is O-H-M, and it's a uh, um, 7.83 hertz. You can find it on YouTube. It, it'll be the first one to come up. If you put in Earth Frequency, it'll be the first to come up. Okay. Yeah, I put a link to one I found. It's um, It says uh, it's, it's one hour and well, in 58 minutes, almost two hours. I saw other ones that were like three hours. And this one is says, um, the powerful healing frequency of Earth's magnetic field boosts positive yes. energy. Yes, that's a, that sounds like a great one. This one is mm-hmm. um, it's actually 12 hours. And it's just something, oh, just wow. so if you're at home, yeah, you don't have to listen to it for that long. But if you want to put it on before you go to sleep, it helps you sleep mm-hmm. better if you want it. Sometimes just in cleaning and organizing, I'll put the frequency on. And it literally uh, tells me to stay rooted, grounded, and focused. Because when you're grounded, you're focused. Um, and that's a lot, uh, that's something that's really good for children, too. You know, my grandchildren, the children I'm talking about are my grandchildren. They sleep with this mm-hmm. frequency. Because it just helps, you know, babies need to stay connected to Earth. And if we're in quarantine and we're not connecting to nature uh, in in all the ways that we should, they've got a little piece of nature they connect to. But if you're not able to go outside for folks that are working eight hours a day, this is also a good frequency. It won't put you to sleep. It will relax you and help you stay grounded. It will help you sleep later on at night, but it's not one of those things that you listen to and then fall asleep. But if you Mm -hmm. can't. Take nature. If you can't go outside in nature, to bring it indoors, bring it in with you. And this is her, the frequency that the earth vibrates on. Um, nice. And then there's several oh, other. Uh, isn't that powerful? That we get yes, to hear. It it's basically the it's the, basically the earth song. It's what. It's yeah, singing to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So and there's so much more. Um, there's there's other frequencies out there. Under uh, this one is the uh, the Schumann frequency, and um, but there's others. There's a Gaia healing Earth frequency. There's a comedic frequency that it deals with the Earth magnetic field. That may be the one you have with the Eye of Ra mm-hmm. on it. Uh, right, so there's, exactly. there's different. Yeah, Different organizations, different uh, frequency, but they are still on the 7.83. You know, we can't escape the 7.83 because that's the frequency, no matter what they put on top of it. That That's the frequency that you want to have uh, with any anyone that you decide to use. Just make sure it's in that frequency. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool, super. Well, again, thank you. Thank you so much, and I'm really happy that you make yourself available, you know, for our, for our audience and for our folks. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to um, connecting again. Um, but definitely I want to look up the ley lines. I had never heard of ley lines. So I'm going to do some more yeah. research on that. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's just like they're, they're veins. And whatever we mm. put in those veins, it travels. And unfortunately, we've spilled, you know, there's been so much war that has been programmed into those veins. And I believe that when she just gets full of uh, of anger and pain, that she has to either shake or, you know, just kind of 
throw everything up in the sky, which looks like a hurricane to us or a tsunami. And here, uh, one just really quickly, uh, one is really important. I want to put out there to listen to how she's speaking through looking at weather reports and seeing mm-hmm. as we had earthquakes here in uh, uh, Southern California last night. So that is another way to understand when she's talking and understand the language. Uh, once those ley lines are just like outdone and they need to clean out, just like people, mm-hmm. when we need to fast uh, and we need to clear our body out, it'll, it'll, we, you know, it cleans itself out. So it's a self-contained system. And she cleans herself mm-hmm. out by cracking open or by, you know, creating uh, different weather patterns that also are used to wake us up. So um, it's really important that we shift the conversation with her so that we're in harmony. Because a lot of the outpicturing is our own consciousness. It's our own creation of what's happening on the planet. It's not something that's happening upon us. There's a, there's this, there's a connection. Um, we're connected to all of it. And Earth is, is right there in, in holding all of it. So if we can change the conversation, we will change the frequency and we'll have a different experience. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, you know, sort of as a metaphor and also literally, you know, we think about the different layers of the Earth, right? We think about the different yeah. layers of our skin, right? <laughs> you know, we've got the stuff on top yeah. and then we got the things yeah. that are going deeper and deeper where we get to like the bone. Similarly with the earth, you know, we start with, you know, this the part we inhabit, which is nothing. And then, you know, we have to go until we get into the core. And, you know, you think about mm-hmm. now where there is a surplus of petroleum. There's nowhere to put it. <laughs> and so common mm-hmm. sense would say, well, stop drilling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know. So far, that the common sense hasn't happened. Like, stop. You know, you know, the fossil fuel is unnecessary. People aren't driving. People are walking. People are staying close mm-hmm. to home. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you and, know, what is the lesson well, here? <laughs> yeah, where's the, and 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 what you said speaks very uh, closely to what we just talked about. There is no relationship. When you have a relationship with your beloved, you don't treat her like that. When you are connected and you have a relationship, you don't treat her like that. So there's a lack of intimacy. There's a lack of connection. It's just like this is just something here to serve, uh, you know, to serve my bank account. You know, there's no connection. So once we re once we reconnect and fall in love with Earth again, then we'll treat her different, and then she'll treat us different. It's a it's a it's a symbiotic relationship, and that symbiosis is definitely something that is in the far recesses of uh, the minds of humanity, and that's a sad thing. It's sad to to say that, but that's why the drilling is happening because there's there's mm-hmm. no connection. Mm-hmm. It's how can you serve me? Because there's a separation there. How can Earth serve me when this, the Earth is your mother? You know, would you drill? Would you hurt your mother like that? So until we until we get it and reconnect, it, we, we'll see more of it, unfortunately. But if we start talking into those ley lines, <laughs> collectively and globally, and people are already doing that around the globe, and and you know, teach our children how to you know 
speak into the earth and have a conversation and you know um that's the, that's one of the ways i i feel that we can shift the energy on the planet mm-hmm. because yeah, she has yeah, the capacity yeah. to just dry some of these resources up she has the capacity to do that so mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but just thank you so much and Wanda i love the way you use the analogy of uh get to the bone of it get we're not we're nowhere mm-hmm. near the bone we're on the surface like people will get up and shine their skin and put on a smell good and, and haven't even had a glass of water. So until we can go beneath the surface, you know, look good on the outside, but the inside is is, is in trouble. You know, until we can go beneath the surface, we, we're going to keep having the same experience. Mm-hmm. We recycle the same trauma and, and war and uh, imbalance and disharmony over and over again. <clears throat> right. Yeah. And it's so interesting how um you know the, the folks, you know, in in um leadership positions are trying to end the meditation before people are ready to come out of the meditation before you know it's, you know, the 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 various spiritual elements are ready to release us from this meditation, which, you know, we're sort of sinking into. You know how when you first start meditating, you know, you're kind of distracted and you just, like, let those ideas kind of, like, pass. You notice mm-hmm. them, you pass, and eventually you mm-hmm. go into, like, that deep, deeper state where you're not noticing, you know, what's around mm-hmm. you. So you're not getting distracted, like you mentioned, you know, being able to, like, um, you know, even if it's just, like, three minutes, you know, sort of sink into into the mother, into the earth, and let let it hold us because the earth is has that kind of capacity because we are from the earth. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's um you know it's it's uh you know it's it's beyond our control. That's one. This is one thing we we are not in charge. <laughs> so you know mm-hmm. we might as well just sort of just give it up, let go, and just be with it. And go and go deeper in um, mm-hmm. the. the what did you say? The capacity to, um, you just spoke it. The, the oh, to have your own plan, and that's a different conversation. It's about just do a quick. But have your own plan. Yes, if they take mm-hmm. us out, but they're not going to take us anywhere. Take us anywhere. We're going to take ourselves, no matter what it looks like. Just like they didn't anticipate people were going to go this deeply in with meditation you know, and, and reconnecting with Earth. They didn't anticipate that. So we they can have a plan and then we'll have a plan. Have your own it's so important to start writing your own sovereign plan for um you know breaking for coming out of what they call quarantine. We're not gonna come out of anything. You know, we're coming in and we're going deeper in. They want us to go back into the we're not going back into the matrix. And so no matter what they do on the outside, keep going in as deep into the earth and, and when I say deep into the earth that's it is simultaneous with as deep into yourself as you can get. As deep as you can get. There is a jewel. There are untapped jewels and they're waiting to be activated. And once you get yourself, nothing can take you. What was it out of the mouth of Nelson Mandela when they asked him, How does it feel to have your freedom taken? And he said, Oh, I've always been free. I have no idea what it's like <laughs> to not be free. Because he went mm. inward. So this is the power. 
to go beneath the surface, to go deeper into the earth of ourselves, to go deeper into the literal earth. Uh, Here at the Earth Lodge, we have a pit. We actually go in that pit, and that's descending down into the earth, rebirthing ourselves, and you don't come back up at the same frequency. You cannot. Even if you went down and didn't say a word, you cannot come back up the same because once you go in, you get closer to the core of your being, closer to the core of the, the actual earth where it spirals, and she just starts to clean you off and clear and bring you up to the frequency which resonates with her, which is 7.83. So the deeper you go, the closer you get to yourself, the closer you get to the core of yourself. So I don't think it's like it's like freeing a bunch of, of people that have been enslaved. You expect them to go back in the cages? <laughs> not going to happen. You know, we've had a taste of freedom. Mm-hmm. So once we've had that taste, it's good to sit down and have a and uh, uh, start building your own infrastructure uh, individually and in your communities, and come up with your own plan. Mm-hmm. And just wow. say I'm not going back. So it doesn't matter when they take it; they can lift it today. I'm not going back. <laughs> Even if I have to go back mm-hmm. to work, I'm not. It's not the same person going back. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's a there's a plan. I have a plan now. Right. So yeah, yeah, we speak about that in the latest. I believe it's the latest uh, YouTube. We have the YouTube channel as well, where we talk about. We've been we've been following this journey. Uh, the whole time, and there's uh, there is a, a video on uh, maintaining your sovereignty once the you know the the quarantine is lifted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't have to give that power give our power away like that. Mm-hmm. Certainly, certainly. Wow. Well, thank you so much once again. And this conversation, I'm sure, you know, we will be continuing this conversation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Wanda, and have a wonderful uh, day today. And uh, don't forget to do something wonderful for the earth today. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and you as well. And thank you again. It's always so it's, it's so wonderful, you know, to be in conversation with you, to be in spirit with you, and I, I really appreciate it, and thank you so much. And I wish I wish you, a, you know, wellness and peace today as well. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. So I'm going to end the show with another poem um, by Rafael Jesus Gonzalez. He sent it to me. Um, it's hot off the presses, and it's for um, uh, the planet, for Mother Earth on Earth Day, and it's called The Call. And again, he did write it in Spanish and in English, and my um, my bilingual capabilities are not such that I can read it to you um, in uh, in the in uh, Rafael's other language, uh, Spanish. The Call. What can I say to entice you to defend the Earth? Remind you how the sun feels, the taste of salt, the smell of bay, a cricket's chirp on a summer night, the rainbow after rain. What is it to love? What it is to love? Shall I appeal to your joy or to your fear? Earth can be terrible in her storms and in her quakes, but she is the measure of any paradise we will ever imagine. You and I will die all too soon, but that life will not go on 
is beyond accepting. What can I say to make you love life enough to act and raise your voice in its defense? And I'm going to read it one more time because I stumbled. The call. What can I say to entice you to defend the earth? Remind you how the sun feels, the taste of salt, the smell of bay, a cricket's chirp on a summer night, the rainbow after rain is what it is to love. That's where I keep on stumbling. (laughs) What it is to love. Shall I appeal to your joy or to your fear? Earth can be terrible in her storms and in her quakes, but she is the measure of any paradise we will ever imagine. You and I will die all too soon, but that life will not go on. It's beyond accepting. What can I say to make you love life enough to act and raise your voice in its defense? And again, that's Rafael Jesus Gonzalez, 2020. And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you so much, Rafael, for coming through with this lovely, lovely poem. And and we're going to close with Nawal's Hema. Nawal is uh, a um, her uh, she she grew up in uh, Comoros Islands off the southern coast of southern Africa, and um, and she lives in Paris now. And this is called Hema. And uh, Ramadan Mubarak Nawal. Mm-hmm. 